Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Mark chapter 10, and if you, if you got your Bibles with you or your iPads or whatever, or if you're listening online, we're in Mark 10, it's also on the screen. In verse 32, we're going to pick up, and it says this. We've got quite a few verses to read, so do bear with me. Mark 10, 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Verse 33, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who regarded as rulers of Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. They're still on the way to Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And then throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I want to talk today, and I actually believe that God has already been speaking to us and breathing life into the church today. And one of the things Lewis said earlier was about our hearts and clean hearts before God. 
And I really feel that God wanted me to speak this message today. I was, I was in a sense fighting over preaching something else. And I just felt the Lord wanted me to speak on this today. And so I hope it resonates with you and I hope it speaks to you in some way. The title of my message today is this, Promotion, Commotion. Promotion, Commotion. You see, a lot of times in our lives, in Christianity and the church... We want to always be great and do things great for God, amen? It's not wrong to want to do that. It's not wrong to want to do good things for God. In fact, God wants us to have that heart. But one of the things that sometimes can get in the way is that when we think we're better than God or we want to position ourselves better than God, and it can happen. Our ministries, the things that we want to do, are never meant to be above God. In fact, the pulpit here, by the way, it's a great place to be, and it's nice to have a shiny pulpit, but I want to tell you something. It's better to shine in public than it is in the pulpit. It's better for you to go and shine outside here than shine here on a Sunday morning. If you grab hold of the mic and you think, I want to hold that mic and talk, listen to me. Sometimes it's quite a stressful thing to do, but I want to tell you, I much prefer the public than the pulpit. Why? Because that's where the people are that we need to reach. And sometimes in our lives, we battle for positions. We come into church and all we want is is a position. We want a ministry. We want to do this and that. And listen, we've got to be hungry for working for Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, you can work in Tesco's, Sainsbury's. You can work for Jesus wherever you are. You don't have to be in here. It's a very shameful thing if we can think that 190 seats in this room and a metal lectern and uh, instruments at the front is the be-all and end-all of church. Because it's not. This is a celebration today. We meet here. But the truth is, what you do in your lives is your ministry. Promotion, commotion. Some of us want to battle for positions. Last year, we went on holiday. And we arrived there and we we decided to go a little bit cheaper. We went all-inclusive. Has anyone ever done an all-inclusive holiday? You've got no idea what food you're going to get. You've got no idea what's going to happen. And we pay this package deal and we arrive off the flight. We arrive around the swimming pool, pulling our cases. I I hate that that moment when you arrive on holiday and everyone's watching you and they think, oh, new arrivals, here they come. You're white. And they they can spot you from a mile off. And you're thinking, I've just got to get a few days adjusted into this system of the way things work around here. But I'm going to act cool. And I'm going to look like I know what I'm doing. But even though I've got my kiss, they all know I'm new. And we arrived and we arrive at the swimming pool and we get around. And the first thing we want to do at lunchtime is well, we'll put the bags in the room and then we'll get a, a, a lounger. And um, so we do that. We go down back to the pool and we're looking for a, a nice spot. And I, and I'm telling you, these, this pool, there was two pools. This place was huge. It was like, I mean, I wouldn't go back there. Put it that way. It was okay for the children. But talk about relaxing. And we walk down, and the first thing I'm trying to do is find a a position, a a lounger. And I could not find one anywhere. I'm dragging loungers across, and we got this position. It was a terrible position. And I honestly thought this. I'm going to tell you the truth. I sat down to read a book, and the kids were playing in the pool, and I thought, I cannot believe we've come here. I cannot believe we're here for nearly two weeks. If this is the system, this is what's going to happen. So the, the next, that evening, we went for a meal, and... At the meal, we were deciding, what do we need to do for tomorrow morning? What's the system around here to get a good position and a good place? And so we were deciding, what's the best time to get up? So the next morning, I get up, and I set my alarm clock for around 7.30, 8 o'clock to have a wander down to the pool. 
So I go down at 7.30. Lo and behold, pretty much every lounger has got a towel on. The kids are in bed. My wife's in bed. She thinks I've got a good position if I get down there at 7.30, 8 o'clock. I ain't got nothing. There's a few. And I try and pull a few seats together. And I go back and I tell her, I say, you're not going to believe this. 7.30, I went down. There's nothing available. I said, what time are we going to go down? So the next day we decide again. And it got to 4 o'clock in the morning. You see, each day I'd realize that there was a cutoff point. There's a cutoff point that people would not go out. And so I set my alarm clock for two weeks. For four o'clock. Yes, me, not Emma. Four o'clock. I set the alarm. I get up out of bed. Put my shorts on and the kids, everyone's snoring. I'm thinking, I've come here to relax. Yeah, they're all snoring. I don't snore, do I? And I walked down to the pool, four o'clock in the morning, even at four o'clock in the morning, I'd walk down to the pool and you'd have to grab your lounger and carry it across. Because Emma would then say to me, I want this position. There's a nice position where if you put all four together, we're facing the pool, it's the best spot all day. You get the sun and everything. So I know in my mind where I've got to get. And I know I'm in trouble if I don't get these four spots. So I take, I go down to the pool, grab the loungers and I'm walking across with these loungers and I'm dragging umbrellas with concrete bases, trying to be quiet at four o'clock in the morning. Then you start to see a few more people who've realized that four o'clock's the cutoff point. It's like rodents coming out on a night and you feel embarrassed because you're thinking I'm one of those people. And so I know as well that the, the detriment of this is when I get my four seats and I've got a good spot, I know that I've got to spend the day around the pool with someone who thought I wish I'd have got your spot. Because there was a, f- a family every day would watch us and say, it was almost like a battle of who's going to get there first to get the best spot. We spent a whole holiday. I came back exhausted. I needed a holiday. But do you know some of us in our lives are like this in church. It ends up being a battle for a position. It ends up being a battle for what you want God to do in your life and what God's doing in you. And listen to me, let me tell you today, there's only one person who's great in this house and it's Jesus Christ. It's not you and it's not me. The church of Jesus Christ is not about you being great. It's about Jesus Christ being glorified and lifted up. Him becoming famous In this city, around the world, in every nation. But some of us, we get to this point because that's the way we're we're made, we're designed. We want a good position. So all the time we're coming and we're trying to fight for position. You know, sometimes I just wish these things didn't exist. Because the truth is, Jesus cannot use us properly while ever we're seeking positions. Promotion, commotion, why why are we looking at this scripture today? We're looking at two stories. I could preach two different messages off this. Blind Bartimaeus and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Two different stories, but actually they're on the way to Jerusalem. What I see is here is something unique in these two stories that I want to just bring out. First of all, I want to say that beginning of this story, Jesus tells them his mission. He says, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. We're not going on holiday. We're going to Jerusalem. This is the mission. This is where we're going. And listen to me. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to me. Here's the plan. Here's the deal. Here's where we're going. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked, spit on, flogged, killed, then rise. 
wow, that's not a good plan. If you were with Jesus, would you say, I want to stick around in this church? You're going to get mocked. Does it sound like a good place to be? And Jesus says, this is what we're doing. This is what's happening to me. This is where we're going. But by the way, there's going to be some glory in all this because I'm going to rise. So stick with me, guys. I'm going to rise. And then he tells them this, what he's going to do. And then there's this truly awkward moment. I find it very awkward in verse 35. After he said what he's going to do, in a sense, laying his life down to be beaten, to be flogged, to be mocked. Verse 35, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to the teacher and they said this to him after he's just said that. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What? Did you just say that? Did you just ask him that you want him to do whatever you want when he's just said what he's going to do for you? You really ask that? I mean, what an awkward moment. And Jesus, he doesn't say, hang on a minute. Who's the greatest around here? He responds and he says this. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, they were talking about the glory days. They were saying, we love the bit, Jesus, when you talk about rising. You're talking about a kingdom to come. You're talking about a place where there's going to be glory. Can we have a nice seat? Can we have a nice position in that? That's what we're interested in. And Jesus is looking at them thinking, did you not get this? Because then he asks them, can you actually take the cup that I'm about to take? Can you be mocked? Can you be flogged? Can you be beaten and spit on? Because that's what the position's all about, really. Wanted a better position. Then we get to blind Bartimaeus. Next scene, scene number two. He arrives in Jericho. Famous story. If you look in Matthew chapter 20, similar story. The recording of that is two blind men, but I believe it's the same story. I believe in this one it focuses on specifically blind Bartimaeus. But he arrives here in verse 35. And he hears as he comes through Jericho. He's walking through and what does he hear? He hears someone else shouting through the crowd. He hears that Jesus of Nazareth is walking through. And he shouts through. Gets Jesus' attention. And Jesus calls him to come. What does he say to him when he calls him? He says, what do you want me to do for you? Same question. Different person. Different attitude. I want to tell you today that if you want to be promoted and do great things for God, it's all about your heart. Because in these two stories, there are two hearts. There are two types of heart. And it's the heart that will always promote you. Wherever in life, there's a natural desire to be in a position People fight for it. It's the way we're geared. It's the way we are. But I want to tell you today that we've got to stop being like that, including me. We've got to say, Jesus, what is it you want in our church? You see, in, in the world, years ago, I used to be in, in, in a job, and every year they'd have promotions. They'd have all manner of things. And the objective in life is to get to the top. Get to the top. And if you get to the top, you get a promotion, you come out of the, the review, 
You'd walk out, you'd say, I've got a promotion, I've got a pay rise. And everyone's like clapping and they're all thinking, I wish I'd have had that. How much money has he got? And everyone's trying to work out what everyone's got for a wage. You know what it's like. Everyone's always trying to find out what you've got and you try to keep it a secret. And there's always this battle for position. I, I had that for 13 years, people trying to get. If I got a position, I felt guilty for getting a position. And so we sometimes treat the church like, like that, the world. But it's very, very different. Why? Because in Mark 10, 43, Jesus says this. In fact, the kingdom of God is completely the other way around. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant. In other words, you've got to have a servant heart. So how can we become great for God? What's the key? What do we learn from this? Number one today, I want to bring a few things out. Number one is that a good heart is a good start. A good heart is always a good start. Verse 47, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't run to Jesus and say, Jesus, look, I'm blind and I've heard you've been doing lots of miracles and I deserve to see so I can have a ministry and I can be someone in Jericho who's telling what Jesus has done for me. He says this, he says he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was walking by, but then it says he didn't shout out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy. He says, Jesus, what does he say? Son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because son of David references and tells him that he recognizes he's Messiah. And then he says, have mercy on me. In other words, I am not good enough. You see, when you want God to do something good for you, you've got to have a good heart. You've got to come and say, God, I recognize that you are great. I am not great compared to you. And by the way, have mercy on me. I position myself lower than you. Let me tell you something. Do you know what happens when you do that? You get God's attention. When you realize who you are and you need his mercy, you need his grace, you position yourself, it catches his attention. I put here that God always looks for a heart of submission before a heart that looks for position. He always looks for submissive hearts. Hearts that say, I want to give everything to you, God. Then he will release a position. He heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Then he shouts out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to ask you today that in your heart sometimes, how do you treat God? Do you call God and say, God, I realize that you're greater than me. I realize actually it's insignificant what I can do. But I ask for your mercy. I position myself lower so that you can become greater. John the Baptist said, he must be, become greater, I must become less. He understood that there was a dynamic in becoming less so that we can become great. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they'll see God. You see, he wanted to see physically, but I'm telling you something. When the heart that he had, he saw God. 
He saw God before him. He recognized it was God because he said, son of David. But those who are pure in heart will see God do great things too. We need pure hearts. The first thing we need to do is recognition and submission. They get Jesus' attention. And he sees what's in our hearts. You know, God, his language is heart. His language to us is heart. It always is heart. He, he looks at our hearts. Some of us think about is what we're coming out with our mouths. But the mouth is an overflow of the heart. It shows what's in that. You want to you wanna get to know what someone's heart is. You spend a bit of time with them and listen to them. You, you listen to someone's voice. I, I'm telling you, you can get good at this within 10 minutes. You can get to understand someone's heart. You listen to their voice. The voice is an overflow of the heart. Some people waste a lot of time and they, 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 they sometimes listen to people and they miss the bits that they're supposed to listen to. The, the voice tells you everything because it speaks an overflow of the heart. The sons of Zebedee said, we want you to do whatever we ask. In other words, Jesus, we realize that you are pretty awesome. You can do some amazing things. Now we're putting our demand in. We're putting our demand in. We're saying, this is what we want. I want to ask you today, sometimes, do you ask Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to do this for me. These are the plans I've got. In the book of James, it talks about boasting about tomorrow. Saying, this is what I'm going to do, God. Come on. This is what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to go to this place. This is my plans for my future. I'm going to become this person. This is what I'm going to do. And I want you to bless me to do it. When Jesus is saying, all, you, all I want you to do is say, what's What's your will, God? And I will live in that will. A good heart is a good start. You can see what comes out of mouths. Proverbs twenty-two eleven says this, One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. I love that. It talks about the heart. It talks about the voice, what you say. Then it says you're going to have a king for a friend. Last year when we were on our way on holiday, I don't know if you've ever seen, and you got a, the check-in desk at Stansted, and we arrived there and we had some problems with the bags and the weight of the bags, and I may have told this story before, but we get there and I'm trying to check the bags in, and the lady said to me, you need to pay extra for these bags. You've got to go to customer service as well. I went over to customer services, queue up, and right in front of me, I've got one of those typical families who were arguing on TV. And they are literally asking and demanding what they want. And I'm stood there thinking, how do I treat this, these people? I need to get moving. Emma was looking at me saying, we've got to get the flight. There was a, a family in front of me. But it's interesting looking at when they demanded, they got nothing. In fact, it caused more problems the more they demanded. The moment I got up there, I thought the only way to do this is to be kind. Is to actually, actually become lower. I didn't like doing it, but to become lower and to go to the desk with a low attitude of myself. And it's amazing what you get. I got a few kilograms free, I think, as I went through. But I want to tell you what we speak out of our mouths. The way we act shows our hearts. If you want the king for a friend, then change your heart and change your voice. Some of us today in our lives... We're in a position just like he was in Jericho, Bartimaeus. Not blind physically, but actually in our lives we're in bad positions. Maybe you need Jesus today to take you out of your position. 
Listen to me, the key to having salvation from Jesus is to recognize your sin. To recognize who you are, that you need a savior. You see, he humbled himself. He was submissive and said, I need you, Jesus. Have mercy. Listen, if you don't know Jesus today, I want to tell you, the way to having Jesus change your life and reposition you from not seeing to seeing as the gospel is, is to be submissive to him and to realize that he is above. Jesus recognized the voice through the crowd. I love the fact that when he walks through in Jericho, there's crowds of people shouting. In fact, they tell the blind man to be quiet. They say, be quiet, because they think that their position's better. They think, ah, you're the blind man. You're the one who sits by the road begging. You in society here have got a position that is lower than us. So be quiet. If Jesus is going to do anything for anyone, he's going to do it for us. And some of us are like this. We treat other people like that they're, they're the ones who are not supposed to be blessed. I'm going to be blessed first because my status, my position, where I am in Jesus is far more ahead than you. So I deserve the position. Listen, Jesus recognized the voice that they didn't think he would recognize. He walks through and hears through all the crowds who were probably saying, Jesus, we've heard all about you. Then all of a sudden through the crowd, he hears this voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. And his ears pricked up. He said, call him. I'd love to have seen this. Call him. But what about us? He's a blind beggar. Call him call him and he comes through the crowd and they have to end up saying get up he's calling you not us he wants you why because he spoke with that good attitude he walks through the crowd and I'm telling you if you picture this for a moment because we read these stories but a blind man is walking towards Jesus and as he gets up Jesus says what do you want me to do for you he says rabbi I want to see he touches him and immediately his eyes open imagine what happened that day when he touched him and in an instant of hearing crowds shouting declaring that they deserve position more than him that all of a sudden through the crowd his eyes open and he sees everyone I know what I want to do I don't know about you but my flesh would want to turn around and go around everyone saying, look, I'm like you now. I can see. My flesh would want to go around saying, ah, I'm not like you thought I was. I'm this new person. So stop calling me names. And I'd spend my time going around telling everyone, putting them in their place. But he didn't. Number two today is this. Humility wins over popularity. Humility wins over popularity. Listen to me. It's not a popularity contest. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross to gain popularity. He went to the cross to demonstrate true humility. Jesus did not go to the cross to become famous and have a following on Twitter. He did not go to the cross to have a mega church. 
He went to the cross. Why? To demonstrate his love for you. To demonstrate true servant heart. To demonstrate to everyone who would follow him and build his church. To show them this is the way to be a king. This is the way. It's not the way you think. This is the way to be a king. To humble yourself. The book of Isaiah tells us that he had nothing in his appearance that would attract anyone to him. In other words, nothing attracted him. He had no glorious thing about him. He didn't have an amazing website. He didn't have an amazing following. All he had is his humility. To lower himself for the king of kings. To lower himself and offer himself on a tree for you and me. That's the king we're serving. Popularity in this world is what defines success. You look around you all through my life in my business that I worked in and the work I worked in. Popularity was, it's, it's what is driving people. Social media, popularity, popularity. How many people follow you? How many people like this? How many people like that? Listen, popularity is not your future. Humility is. It's far greater. It wins over popularity. And I believe Jesus sometimes is looking at us thinking, what are you doing? Where is the chief cornerstone? God defines us from our humility. When he sees our humbleness, he says, I know what I can use now. I know what I can do with you. And he recognizes the positions of our heart. True identity is always found in humility. You see, Bartimaeus, he found an identity again. He found a new identity in Christ. Why? Because he was humble. He found a new position. Why? Because he was humble. The response to the sons of Zebedee was, I can do whatever you want me to ask. I am pretty much all powerful, but Actually, I want to ask you a question. Can you do what I'm asking you to do? Can you lower yourselves and take the cup I'm taking? In fact, they said yes. The truth is the sons of Zebedee, both of them, did take that cup. And he prophesied to them and said, you will take that cup. Because John was exiled to Patmos. In Revelation, we see that. And we see that they were both taking the cup eventually. But what God wanted to do is not say, that's it, you're exempt from the ministry. You're exempt from the kingdom. He just wanted to show them it's all about heart. It's all about serving. So actually, do you know what? James and John were great people. They did amazing things for God. However, there's a lesson to be learned here. That sometimes our flesh gets in the way of our future. Our flesh gets in the way of what we think is our future. And sometimes we have to take a stop check. And as Lewis said so brilliantly today, Sometimes we've got to examine our hearts. We don't examine them sometimes and get to that place. You see, God always looks at the heart when he selects more than any popularity. I want to show you something in Acts chapter 1. It should come up on the screen just before we move on. In Acts chapter 1, verse 23, here we find that Judas, is, they've just lost Judas. He's gone. Why? Because he betrayed. He did something wrong. He let them down. In fact, he let them down, but Jesus selected him. Crazy, isn't it? He let them down, but Jesus was the one who selected him. He's the one who gave him the position. 
but he let them down. But then it says this, they're about to nominate two men to join. They nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then verse 24, it says this, then they prayed. They didn't say, let's look at these two guys. They've got great resumes. They've got great CVs or whatever. These guys are amazing. Look at them. We selected these two. They looked and then they said, we think these are two good options, but we want to know what God thinks. They said, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you've chosen. To take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. You see, Judas himself lost the ministry. Why? Because he showed his heart was all about treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So Judas lost the ministry. Anytime you seek self-promotion and self-looking for the the treasures you're going to get out of it, what it's for for you, do you know what happens? You kill the ministry. That's what he did. He killed himself off. Why? Because he sought the treasure. He sought the treasure. So now it leaves them in a position. They say, we now need to appoint. But when we appoint, we want to make sure we get someone. And by the way, this is a great thing for when you're selecting people. Because if you look at this, not only did they say, God, we want you to choose which one because you know the heart. You can see inside people that we can't see. But then he said this. (coughs) If you look at the story, they selected these two because these two were witnesses of Jesus' death. They'd been there. They'd seen it. They were consistent people. These people had been around consistently, not sporadically. These people had been around and seen Jesus die been risen from the dead, they'd seen consistency. Let me tell you today that sometimes in our lives, it's our heart, but it's also our consistency and integrity and the things that God is looking at in our lives. They said, these are two people. We know that they've seen everything. They've been around. They've stuck with us. They're consistent. But we want to know now, let's have a look inside their heart. What is going on? Then they select. God Always looks at the heart. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I've got here, someone lent me this. Does anyone know what that is? Steve, you should know. It's not a pendant. Plumb line. If you've seen one of these before, I've never used one because I've never built anything. But in Amos chapter 7, God speaks to Amos the prophet, and he talks about a plumb line. And he says, I'm going to check the hearts of people, and the way he symbolizes, he said, I'm going to use my plumb line to see people's heart. How does a plumb line work? You put this against a brick wall, what you'll find is what it does is gravity is the thing that makes it work. These things cost about a fiver. They're free if you know Mirek from Screwfix. It's simple, piece of string bit of metal. Amazing thing. Why? You put this against a wall if you're building a wall and you want to build it straight. You want to get the wall plumb. You put this on and the weight of this and the gravity work together. The gravitational pull that is invisible will make this draw perfectly a perfect line. Then you build to the line. 
And some of us in our lives, we need to get out and examine our hearts. We need to get the plumb line on our hearts and say, if I rest this plumb line, the Holy Spirit can be the gravity in your heart to determine what it is that needs to go, what needs to leave you. By the way, when I say this, there's quite a few things in my heart at the moment I'd like to leave. I ain't perfect. In fact, you know what? We've got to examine our hearts all the time. Our hearts, they really do get in the way sometimes, don't they? And sometimes we have got to examine them. I'm examining mine all the time, realizing that I need to get rid of that. That's not good to think like that. That's not good to be like that. Get the plumb line out. Don't think you're perfect that you don't need this. Because the Holy Spirit will be the gravitational pull which will show you where your heart is. Thanks, Mirek. Oh, man, where am I? Number three and finally, gratitude creates good attitude. Gratitude creates good attitude. Your attitude, I've always said this, determines your altitude. Wherever your attitude is, it determines where you're going to go. And attitude is a key thing in our lives today. If we want to be promoted with God, then we need a good attitude. Amen? He said this to the blind man. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. Then what does it say? And followed Jesus along the road. In other words, I find this amazing because if I would have been him, I would have, I would have loved to go around the crowd telling them, look at me, I can see. Look at me, I've got a new position. I'm in a new place, a new position. You were putting me down and this is who I am now. This is my new position. But the first thing he does is he wants to serve. He says, I want to serve. In fact, I want to follow you. Where are you going? I want to follow you. I don't care about people. I don't care about popularity. I don't care about this. I just want to go with you. And along the road, he goes like this, looking around thinking, this is amazing. I can see the son of David. I can see where I'm going, but I don't want to talk and go around all the people. I don't want to go to the people and tell them how bad they've been to me and show them my position. I want to go with Jesus. And he says he follows him along the road. (laughs) I love that. I don't know if you've noticed that when Peter's mother-in-law was healed in Luke 4, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But the moment he heals her of the fever and she gets up, the first thing she does is she says she serves on him. She waits on him. She doesn't just get up and say, wow, that was amazing. I was in a lot of, I've been taking lemsips for about a week. And that is amazing. I don't have to take any more medication. I want to go out and tell people. No, it says she gets up. She's healed. Then she serves him. You see, when, you're, when you have a heart that's, 
that has gratitude, thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you on the cross, that you realize that his sacrifice, the fact that he was whipped, beaten, spat upon, mocked on your behalf, when you realize that's what he did and you have a heart of gratitude, you forget about position and all you're bothered about is serving him. All you're bothered about is really becoming less and him becoming more. I want to ask you today, check your heart. Rick Warren says this, it's possible to serve in church for a lifetime without ever being a servant. You must have a servant heart. Isn't it dreadful to think someone could be in church all their life, serve, but not have a servant heart? But not be in gratitude, not do it out of love for Jesus. I want to ask you today, Where's your heart? Jesus said this in John chapter 12, 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Listen to me today. And you know my heart. We serve Jesus. We follow Jesus. But part of the church is about leadership. It's about submission. And I want to tell you something today. Submission to leadership, I've submitted to leaders all my life, and I've absolutely loved it. Why? Because I love serving people's visions. Yesterday, I was in Alpha. Not on Alpha. I was doing Alpha, and Mandy is leading Alpha. And so I sent her an email, and I said, what time do I need to be there? I need to know what time you need me there and in the morning. And she told me the time, and I came. And do you know, I want to just tell you something. This is what real... Leadership is about, if you want to learn to be a leader, leadership is about actually learning to serve people. You see, when I come to Alpha, Alpha's not my thing. It's your thing. I've given you the, 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 the job of running and said, you do it. And by the way, she's doing an amazing job. Come on, let's give Mandy a big, <laughs> amazing job. But when I got here, do you know, my objective is, is not to come in. And sometimes I do, they have to tell me to be quiet. Yesterday, they told me to be quiet. I was told to shut up. I was having a kick, talking to someone. I was told to be quiet. But you know what? I like that. I like the fact that they could tell me why. Because it's their, their day. Not my day. Not my day. You've got to understand when you release something to someone, that you say, go ahead and do it, and I'm going to serve you. And by the way, it's a joy. it was a joy for me to cook for 25 people, sweating, trying to work out what to do in the kitchen, while everyone was discussing things in Alpha. And I was absolutely loving it. Why? Because it was something different, something new. And all the time I was cooking the meal, all the time I was doing it, and everyone laughing probably at me, trying to cope with everything, all the time I was doing it, I'm thinking, I'm doing this for Jesus. Honestly. I'm thinking, I'm doing this, why? To make Jesus famous to those people. And so when I ask people and say, we've got to be submissive to leadership, I want you to be submissive so you can serve. And why? Because God wants a servant heart. But you've got to learn to be servants to others. You see, Jesus says the way you're going to become a leader, the way you're going to become great is when you become a servant, when you wash feet. Jesus, before he went to the cross, was washing feet. I mean, I don't like feet. And if you want me to just come and join your Saturday ministry for washing feet, I ain't there. I'm sorry. Get someone, Mandy will do it. 
I just, I just don't, I'm not that keen on feet. But sometimes, you know, feet, it's not about feet. Sometimes you've got to serve in areas that you are not necessarily inclined to. Sometimes you've got to serve and wash feet and do ministry in specific areas. Why? Because it's nothing to do with the opposition. It's to do with his glorification. It's to do with where you're positioning Jesus. You're saying, you're famous. You're famous. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if I have to wash feet, I'll do it. If I really have to. But listen to me, washing feet, what Jesus is trying to show is actually the lowest thing you can do is clean the dust off someone's feet. To get on your knees and do that. Sometimes in our lives we've got to check our hearts and say, do you know what? I don't care, I don't care anymore where my, my sun lounger is around the position of this, this swimming pool. I just want to make Jesus famous. If you have that attitude, you will go miles and miles and miles in the kingdom of God. Whatever you're doing, make him famous. I finish with this today in 1 Peter 5, 6. Peter says this, humble yourselves. Humility is a big thing. It's hard to do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. In other words, he's the one who lifts. He's the one who elevates. He's the one who's going to reposition. And how do you get repositioned? You become low. You take the lowest place and he'll give you a great place. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up in due time. And then in verse 4, Peter also said this. And I love this and I want to finish with this today. He says this, when the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one at the top, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.